Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a sermon from our lead pastor, Derek Ross. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, can we put our hands together? Thank the Lord for what he's doing all the way around the world. It's great to hear from Patrick and Alina. Of course, the kids, thanks for your prayers and continued uh, support of what God is doing around the world. And um, as Pastor Dan said, it's great to be part of something that God's doing, not just here, but uh, in a lot of places. Amen. Awesome. Also want to say thanks for your generosity. Um, Because of your support, we were able to send uh, over $9,000 to Convoy of Hope to help with uh, different things going on. I got word this morning, more people gave online this morning. So that number will keep growing and we'll keep uh, sending that in. So thanks so much for being a church that cares uh, about what's going on. And uh, I'm always a little confused and saddened when I hear some people online say that Christians don't really care because I'm surrounded by so many who really do. So thanks for representing Christ well uh, in this area and all around the world. Well, we do want to say welcome to those watching online, worshiping with us. Thanks for being here. My name is Derek. I'm the lead pastor at Celebration. We are in week number five of the series from the book of Acts titled The Church, Belonging and Becoming. So we did three weeks from Acts chapter 2. Last week was Acts chapter 3. That means this week is Acts chapter 4. That's uh, fantastic. Next week will be? There you go. You're, you're catching the hang of it. It's going to be great. Just by the time you guys are ready for the eighth week, we're going to switch to missions month in November, but that's going to be awesome, and uh, we look forward to it. Acts chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you could turn there, and if you're able, would you stand to your feet this morning for the reading of God's Word? Um, it's the whole chapter, verses 1 to 31. Uh, actually, it goes all the way to 37. I'm going to stop at 31, so not the whole chapter, but I'm also not going to read all the verses, so I'll cherry-pick a few this morning to give us a broad understanding, and then we'll preach a little bit more uh, as we see these. Let's begin at verse 1, though, Acts chapter 4. The Bible reads like this. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. That's a little disturbing, disorienting. You're trying to do some public speaking. You're trying to teach people about Jesus. And these people are coming up and bothering you while it's going on. I don't know how many of you were here back in uh, 2015, but it was in the newspapers. It was a few months after we had arrived and in my first year here, and we had a lady come in through the back doors. Dr. Paul Alexander is the president of Trinity Bible College in Ellendale, North Dakota, or South, North Dakota, yeah, that's what I meant to say. I get them confused, the North and South, I know what they are, but she came in yelling about ISIS was coming for us. And I was like, oh, that was fantastic. And then she came back the next week and I was like, no, we're not gonna do that. So anyway, our security team talked to her outside and explained to her it would be beneficial for her to not come back. And uh, so I remember that, but I remember being scared about that. And I was like, ah, why did I move to Minnesota? <laughs> you know, I was like every week in Minnesota like that. But you know, that, that's kind of what I, I was reminded of that. It, uh, it was funny because I even thought about, man, remember when that was the thing I was most concerned about, you know, but anyway, she was crazy. And so we uh, blessed her in the name of the Lord. And uh, I mean, she was, it was anyway. So try to get her the help she needed because she wasn't anyway, that's what happened. 
here in Acts chapter four and verse one. These people came up while Peter and John were speaking to the people. All right, I'll continue verse two. It says, they were greatly disturbed, not Peter and John because they were interrupted, but the religious leaders were greatly disturbed because Peter and John, the apostles, were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Oh, the horror that church leaders were telling people about Jesus. Verse three, so they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. Uh, but many who heard the message believed. By the way, persecution has never hindered the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. I'll talk a little bit more about that in the weeks ahead, but it says, so the number of men who believed, you know, a lot of times they just counted the men, but women and children count too. Even just the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Verse 13 says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right? This is important for all of us to assess as well today. Which is right in God's eyes? Not with public perception, not an online vote or a poll to see what's trending. Come on, what's right in God's eyes to listen to you or to listen to him? He said, you could be the judge, but as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. I've titled the message this morning, Obedient Disobedience. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we've been given to lift high the name of Jesus. We ask, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us all, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. As a recap, if you're new or if you've missed a week, I've not missed a week. This is why I know what every week was about. Week number one, we titled Power for Today. We did three messages from Acts chapter two, but we said this isn't just about something that happened back in Bible times. This isn't just something that happened, uh, you know, 333, 34 AD. This is that there's power of God. The Holy Spirit's available to us today. And we had different illustrations each week, visual aids to help us remember what God was doing. That first week was Mentos and Coke. And uh, it wasn't so much about more of the Holy Spirit in us, but it was about allowing the Holy Spirit to come out of us and impact the lives of those around us. Everybody has the Holy Spirit when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will come in, begins to take residence in us. We are his temple. So the Holy Spirit is in each and every believer. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit's really about letting the Holy Spirit out. And so we receive that prayer language. It's an unknown tongue, but it's really for the purpose of evangelism so that we'll become bold witnesses for Jesus. Can I get a good amen? Week number two was still in Acts chapter two, and it was all about proclaiming the gospel. Remember, it was the megaphone. And we said, the Holy Spirit will help us be louder so that people can hear. 
Some people are too loud and they can't be heard, right? So we got to understand the situation. Do we need to be louder? Do we need to tone it down just a bit? Uh, the third week was still, again, from Acts chapter 2, but it was about uncommon community and how these believers gathered together. They lived their life in a, uh, not a commune, not sell everything, take a vow of poverty deal, but they were concerned for the well-being of one another. And there was something about the understanding that community is not, maybe not for us, but that we're for somebody else. And so when we go through these struggles, these tough times, the illustration was the balloons and the nails. When we're all alone, that nail can pop the balloon because tough times do come and people's lives are sharp and jagged, right? There's rough edges. But when we're together, that bed of nails, even I was pushing on the balloon, it wouldn't pop because there was strength in numbers. There was a softening that happens within community. And then last week, Acts chapter three was the fourth message. And I titled that walking in power. Remember Peter and John? encountered the man who was begging. He'd been lame since birth. Uh, and and he, they, he said, hey, give me some money. They were like, hey, I don't have money, but what I do have will give to you in the name of Jesus get up and walk. And he was healed. And, and our visual aid was just praying for other people. And I paused and asked, you know, if, if there's testimony of God doing something. Um, and, and in between services, a young man came up to me and he said, you know, pastor, I didn't want to say anything the first week because I wanted to see how it would happen. But he said he had injured his foot. He had told his family for about a week and uh, could hardly walk on his foot. It was in, uh, impeding his ability to work. He stands on his feet for work and there was problems. And he said, you know, when you said in the first service last week, you know, if there's anybody here who's been here, would you lift your hand? He said, in that moment, I felt my foot pop. And he said, it's been a week since then. He said, I started to work out again. I was able to run and it feels better than my other foot that probably has pains from old age. So, you know, that's what God's doing when we just pray, but it wasn't something that uh, was for our fame and our glory, but it was evidence as he was sharing with some unsaved friends and family member what God is doing in his life. So that's what we're believing for each of us to walk in the power of God. Yes, to be healed, but more than just to have our physical lives more easy or, or easier, that there would be a catalyst for the explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So we give him thanks for that. Well, today is week five. I'm talking about obedient disobedience, and I want to play a game called Simon Says. Simon Says. Everybody familiar with the rules? You know, I'll be Simon. And this is, I gave myself bonus Bible points in the first service because when I thought of this illustration, I was not realizing that Peter was really Simon Peter. And so it was like, Simon Says, Peter's talking. I should get double Bible bonus points today. But uh, I'm just going to talk about Simon Says. So Simon Says, the rules are, I'll be Simon. And if I say, you know, raise your hand, you don't do anything. Because Simon didn't say, but if Simon says, raise your right hand, then you raise your right hand and you get to stay in the game. Does everybody remember that? Sorry, I'm going to need uh, three volunteers. Thank you, Jason Heath. I appreciate that. You're sitting right up front. Come on. Let's give it up for Jason. He's coming. That's, that's great. Let's, let's uh, all right. Uh, Willie, come on, Willie. Come on. I see you right there on the aisle. I'm just scanning for people. Joey's nervously looking at his phone. I'm going to skip over him. Autumn, you're staring. Why don't you come up? Come on, Autumn. That's right. Yes, you, Autumn. There's only one Autumn right in front. Autumn said, Toby. All right, come on. These three, let's make them feel welcome. They're competing for great prizes. We're going to play Simon Says. Well, you're going to play Simon Says. They're going to watch. So uh, today you're playing for a Walmart gift card. It's $100. So some would say this is a life-changing experience. Not the $100, but going to Walmart. And so... um, (laughs) That's funny. That's funny. And so you can, whatever. So we're going to play and it's going to be you three. So you're familiar with how this goes. If you lose, you lose. But if you win, $100 gift card. It's significant. It's worth it. All right. Simon says, put your right hand on your head. 
wow, they all made it. That's fantastic. Simon says, put your left hand on somebody else's head. It's in the game, not mine. Okay. <laughs> all right. Put your hands down. All right. That's significant. They're paying attention. All right. Simon says, punch your neighbor in the nose. <laughs> all right. You guys... You guys are faking just like the first service. This is an interesting illustration. You guys are really wanting this $100 gift card. All right. Simon says, actually murder somebody else in the game. All right. You all lose. No, no. Willie, you're, you're barely saved. I can tell. I met you a month ago, but I'm just saying. No, no. It's not worth it. It's $100 to Walmart. And so don't, don't actually kill anyone. Okay. So here's, here's the lesson for us to learn, even though Willie really wants to go to Walmart. I don't know. Like... I should tell you guys there's actually nothing on the Walmart gift card. It's fake. I just took it when I was at Walmart yesterday. There's nothing on it because I was hoping no one would commit murder today. So there's nothing on it, actually. <laughs> Willie thought about it, though. I could tell. He was like, how can I do this? I'll kill him and then pray for him to be raised back to life. No, no. Simon actually can't make you murder someone. Simon can't make you do something that you don't want to do or that you shouldn't do. All Simon can do is say you don't get to win the prize that I said you would. Sometimes we blame the devil. Sometimes we blame other people. But the truth is Simon can't make you do something you don't want to do or you shouldn't do. Each and every person must choose for themselves. Will I obey or not? Amen. Well, let's give these three a hand. I do have gift cards for you. Come on. Dairy Queen. There you go. Thanks a lot. One more time. Appreciate your help here today. We're talking about obedient disobedience. This is way more than a game of Simon Says. There's real things on the line, and I think even more so as we await the soon return of our king. Hopefully you got notes on the way in, and uh, you won't forget that. Uh, Number one, this is kind of a preliminary point, but it's right here in the text. It's important to note that Christianity is inclusively exclusive. And this will make people mad, but you need to just know it up front. Christianity is inclusively exclusive. We read here in the text that these men were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. This message of faith in Christ alone got these dudes put in jail. The religious leaders and even the military captain were threatened by this message of Christianity. And that's why they put them in jail. Jesus was crucified on the cross and was buried in a tomb. But if he had been resurrected, he was no longer just a good teacher. But he was, in fact, the Messiah. And if Jesus was who he says he was, then everything that these other men had worked for for their entire lives wouldn't matter. They benefited from the systems of the day. The religious leaders got to control who went where and what. The, the, the military captain benefited from this. They, they liked the way things were. They enjoyed the benefits of living in the inner circle. And here Peter and John were now preaching a message that it was all about Jesus. This riled some feathers back then and it'll still rile some feathers today. You see, they said salvation is found in no one else. 
Salvation's not found in good works. Salvation's not found in who your parents are or what school you went to. Salvation is found in Jesus alone. The message of Christianity was not just for the Jews, but it was now also for the Gentile. The message of Christianity was not just for the men, but it was now for women and children as well. The message of Christianity wasn't about what school you went to, but who you spent time with. Jesus came to seek and save whoever was lost. People want our message to simply be one way as long as it's not the only way. That's really what got Peter and John in trouble. If you think about it, church leaders weren't mad that people were preaching about how to improve your life, get closer to God and those type of things. The problem is the message now excluded those who used to be included by keeping people at a distance. You see, the religious leader of the day, the religious leaders of the day, the, even their whole financial income system was built upon putting extra restrictions, extra regulations upon you, the people. You had to do certain things and avoid other things also that you could maybe perhaps get good enough to get close to us who might get close to him. But Peter and John were now saying, Jesus is the one the one whom the prophets prophesied about, the one that we've been praying for, the one that we've been waiting on. He came, he died, he was buried, but he was resurrected and now he's alive forever and you can be made whole. And this really messed with the systems of the world. Jesus said it this way. He said, uh, Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, he said to his disciples, go into all the world. Look at how inclusive this message is. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In case you didn't have time to study what Jesus meant when he said all the world and all creation, he clarified it for you in the next very verse. <laughs> he said, whoever believes. This wasn't just for the Jews. This wasn't just for the dudes. <laughs> this was... For anybody, whoever believes will be saved. It's an inclusive message. But the truth is, I do understand that it's inclusively exclusive. Because Jesus didn't say, whoever believes what you want will be saved. He didn't say, whoever believes what they tell you will be saved. He said, only I, John 14, 6, am the way the truth, and the life. He clarified, no one comes to the Father but by me, but by Jesus. It's inclusively exclusive. So some people have labeled this message as being closed-minded or offensive to others. But the truth is, if we were gonna go on a road trip to Iowa, and if I was driving north on I-35, it would be rude of you to wait till we hit the Canadian border to say, hey, pastor, decent preacher, bad driver. <laughs> We're going the wrong way. No, that would not be loving. That would not be kind of you to say, well, he's going his own way. <laughs> Have you seen gas prices? That's not kind. Tell the brother, turn around. You know, like it's inclusively exclusive. 
that Jesus is the only way, but whoever believes in him, the Bible says, will be saved. But you gotta be prepared that that message will ruffle some feathers. It'll make people mad. It'll attack the systems that they've benefited from, or it might confront their convenience, that conviction from the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, the gospel is filled with love. All right, number two, it's pressure that will reveal our convictions. It's not our convenience. It's not the good times that prove what we're made of. (laughs) But it's pressure. It's struggle. It's that pressure that, that forms a diamond. It's that pressure that doesn't make our convictions. It simply reveals. You ever met that person that when things got tough, they began to just spew hatred out of their mouth. They're like, I don't know where that came from. We're like, we know. Because <laughs> this tough time, this pressure didn't change who you were. It just revealed who you were. Because we also know we've met people who they go through the same struggle, they go through the same delay, and they continue to speak life and blessings and hope, and they're uplifting and encouraging to other people. Not because of their circumstances, but because of what's in them. Pressure reveals our convictions. It says they, they saw, they realized that these dudes were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, by the way, this is not a push to make yourself as dumb as you can be. But what it is saying is that a lack of formalized education is not a prerequisite to testify of the goodness of Jesus in your life. It's not, this doesn't say, well, they saw Peter and John and sure glad they failed every class. That's not what it says. It just meant that certain status was no longer a prerequisite to being used by God. You see, the systems of those days, not only was it about your education, but it was about who you received your education from. Not unlike some of our higher education system here today, right? And they were unschooled and they were ordinary men, but they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You know, not everybody can get into every school. I know that doesn't seem well circulated these days, but that's just a reality. Not everybody can be whatever they want to be. Some people can't be fast. Some people can't be tall. I'm trying to think what else I can say without getting in trouble. Because what I want to say is some people can't be good looking. You know, like I just, that's what I'm thinking in my head, but I'm not saying it. I was just telling you what I was thinking, but that was one of those that I was like, I probably shouldn't say it, you know. Some people like me can't be a doctor. I've passed out six times in hospitals, none of which when I was the patient. <laughs> like if you don't like blood and needles or the smell of hospitals, you friends should not be a doctor. <laughs> That's why I'm not, amongst other reasons. You know, like extra college, like there's a lot of, like, but some people, but here's the thing, everybody can be with Jesus. They were unschooled. They were ordinary. I get it. Some people, their brain is not wired to take tests. Some people, you get nervous when you see a test and you forget the things you know. Some of you are good at taking tests and you learn things you didn't study. (laughs) You're a good guesser. (laughs) 
But the truth is, if I'm having surgery, I don't want you guessing, you know, so let's just be honest about it and don't be a doctor, you know. But everybody can be with Jesus. This isn't about who your family was. This isn't about what your test score is. You could be unschooled. You could be ordinary, but you can just spend time with Jesus. And Jesus came to remove those barriers in society. That it doesn't mean you can do whatever you want, but you can do whatever he wants because you can spend time with him. And when we spend time with him, we become more like him. And these people could notice, not that they were super smart, not because they knew things they did, but because they were more like Jesus. I wonder when people see you and when they see me, do they take greater note at our academics, at our achievements, or do they notice if we've been with Jesus? Do we sound like our Savior? These men had been with Jesus They didn't measure up to all the standards of society, but there was something undeniable about him. They had become like the one that they had spent time with. One of the things that the people noticed was their courage. Right there, verse 13, it says, 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. You know, your courage is not noteworthy until there's a struggle. If your team's up by 30, it's not very courageous to say, way to go team. I was watching some Major League Baseball playoffs last night, of which the Twins are not in it. Therefore, now I can root for Seattle, where I grew up. And they were losing 8-1. to one. Said only one team in history had ever come back from seven runs down, and I was texting with my dad. He turned it off. He went and did some, he took the, the, his grandkids, my nieces, uh, on a walk, and, and the Mariners came back, and they won. It was, it, it took a lot more faith down 8-1. I really was going to text him and say, well, there's always game three. But for whatever reason, I didn't. And I thank the Lord because I know what I had to say. I did not believe in them. But I didn't. I just believed enough not to text. I was like, I don't want it to look bad if they come back. You know, and the team came back. The truth is, in life, it doesn't take a lot of courage to say, I love the Lord Jesus in a church service. Okay? This goes beyond sports. This, uh, it doesn't take a lot of courage when you're here with a room full of believers to lift your hands in worship. But it might take a little courage when things aren't going your way, when you're around other people who disagree with you to say, I'm still a man or woman of faith. I won't shift and I won't change and my praise is not predicated upon the outcome. I believe in God and is good. He's good and his love endures forever. You see, it's this pressure from others that revealed the real convictions of Peter and John. And sadly, our society often settles for convenience instead of conviction. Why? Part of it is it's so easy to just change our social media profile picture or change the banner around. We can post like, we can, we can say praying for, we can click we like this cause, whatever it is, but there's a big difference between posting something from the comfort of our couch and living it out with people in danger, right? Whether it was a, a group that I think you'll hear in another week or two that uh, did the, the, the trip to Turkey, stayed here in the cities, but going into some mosques and some restaurants and different things here, whether it's hearing from the Royakers who are there, bordering Russia. There's a difference, as we'll hear the first Sunday in November from somebody uh, from Kazakhstan, people who are bordering the nations, who are there where war and refugee things are happening. It's different. 
than posting something from our couch in the South Metro. It's different when you're on the front lines of a situation, when you're helping the hurting, when you're there with people who feel down and out. It's that pressure, those tough times. It's when you remain faith-filled, even when you're still praying and you still have unanswered prayer. It's when you remain believing that God is good, even when your family is still far from him. It's when you keep on fighting the good faith, even when people give up and they turn away. It's when you remain loving, even when others are hurtful. That's when we really see what we're made of, the convictions that we really have. Uh, this past week, I was able to have dinner with Dr. Barnabas from Tokambali, the general superintendent, the leader of uh, Tanzania Assemblies of God, chairman of all of Africa Assemblies of God. And he was here speaking at um, something at a hotel. And he, he called me on Monday night and he said, I wanted to call the bishop. Can I have dinner with the bishop? I said, yes, okay. Which meant he wanted us to help him with something. So we'll do that, but we'll talk about that next month. And I told him, Dr. Barnabas, we have lions in Minnesota. He said, really? I took him to the carousel in the Mall of America. <laughs> he wasn't that impressed, you know, but he laughed at it. It was great. So, but he was telling me about how they had a pastor who went to plant a church in a new village, but to plant a church, you know, he wasn't looking for ground to buy or a building to build. He was just going to a village that had never heard about Jesus. And so this pastor uh, went to this village and the witch doctor and the community leaders, they threw him out of the village and every day he'd go back and it was like this for about a week. And they finally said, you're not coming back in or we'll physically harm you. It was a radical Muslim village. And, and, and that night he slept out, outside the village uh, perimeter. And there was a man eating lion. I don't know, maybe he didn't like eating women. I'm not sure, but it was a man eating lion that had come through. It was kind of a rogue lion. And, and, and the villagers saw the lion pace circles around the pastor that night outside the village, but the lion didn't touch him. It was a, honestly a modern day Daniel in the lion's den situation. And the next morning, the village leaders called the pastor back in and said, whatever happened last night out there, we want to have happen in here. And they said, you go ahead and tell us about your Jesus. And everybody in that village came to know Jesus Christ as Lord. But the truth is, it wouldn't have been revealed until that tough time came. So we got to ask ourselves, instead of running away from pressure, maybe we would allow it to reveal our true convictions to those around us. Number three, we see here in this passage that corporate prayer empowers resistance. Corporate prayer empowers resistance. It says, upon their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. By the way, uh, this is not necessarily about a skin color or something like that. Remember Acts chapter two, we talked about, it says they were all together in one place. What was that Greek word? Homothumadon, what did that mean? Same fire, same passion. That this was only evidence because it was different kinds of people with the same passion. This was unity, not uniformity. This was likeness, not sameness. And the Bible says that when they got out of jail, they went back to their same likeness, not sameness. They went back to people that shared the same passion. They went back to people that shared the same fire. They went back to people that they were unified in prayer with. They were different than, but they were united with. It says they went back to their own people. You know, whenever you're going through something tough, you got to know who your own people are. You got to know who's a man or a woman of faith that I can count on when I knock on the door that they'll let me come in. You got to know that when I call, they'll answer, that when I say, I need to pray, 
Because you gotta be, you got to know who your circle is. We talked about that with community groups and different things. There's something about praying together. Listen, I'm thankful for when I pray on my own, but there's something different when I'm praying with people, not just for people. There's something different that happens when we get together. It says on their release, they went back to their own people and they reported all that happened that the chief priests and the elders said to him them. And when they heard this, they didn't freak out. They prayed. It says they raised their voices together A lot of people in our society are getting that part right. But what do they say? They raise their voices together in prayer to God. Their response was more about calling out to God than it was correcting the other people. This is important. This is about resistance. Right? And I know... uh, there are, are times or moments where some people may not be able to get together and pray with other believers. Maybe uh, they're a single serving around the world in a country with no other believers. Maybe they're in prison, separate. But I'm just saying, in general, those who I'm speaking to today have opportunity to get together for prayer with other people. There's different prayer times at church. There's prayer in your home. There's prayer at public places. There's something that happens. It doesn't replace our time of personal prayer with God. But personal prayer with God is not all of the prayer that's available to us and the strength that happens, the empowering that happens for resistance, we see evidenced here in corporate prayer. Peter and John felt it important to get back together with other people of same fire, same passion to pray. Now, the truth is you won't always feel like getting together for prayer with other people. How do I know that? I don't always feel like getting together for prayer with other people. I'm glad four of you laughed. In the first service, everybody stared at me, a bunch of sacrilegious, (laughs) self-righteous. They were like, Pastor, we always want to pray with people. I don't. Sometimes I want to watch football and not talk to anybody. But I've never regretted time spent in prayer with other people. I've often not wanted to before it. I might be tired. I might have other things on my schedule. I might want, but when I'm praying with other people, I've always been grateful to God for other men and women of faith that I got to unite my faith with and call upon heaven. There's something that happens. There's a multiplying effect that happens when we're together with other believers. But But I want us to focus in on this word, of resistance. I would say resistance more than revolution. The Bible says that they prayed for boldness. Look at what he said there. They, They called upon heaven. They said, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Notice they didn't say, stop them from talking mean about us. Their prayers were not about God get them. Their prayers were God help us. Revolution so often focuses on changing other people. And resistance focuses on God help us do what we need to do. We got too many Christians that are spending too much time worried about other people. And not nearly enough time worrying about themselves. 
God, what is it that I'm supposed to do? What are the words that I need to speak? God, give me boldness to speak your word. It says, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What were they focused on? God, help us do what we can do so that you can do what only you can do. They really didn't pray too much, if at all, about the other people. Oh, God, stop those mean religious people. That wasn't the prayer. God, give us boldness to proclaim your word. And God, would you show yourself faithful for the glory of your son, Jesus. What did Paul say in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12? He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, comma, to stand. Focus on resistance and not revolution. Well, Pastor Derek... What if, there's got to be some times, you know, let me give you two good instances for obedient disobedience. When you need to just say, you know what, we're not going to do that. If the government, if, you know, your neighbor, if your boss, whatever. These, let me give you two times when you should disobey. There might be a third, but right now I'm only thinking of two. I'll leave one room for later if I pray and get a third one, but there's two. <laughs> I mean, if I pray, I already did pray. I just meant if I pray and get another one. (laughs) Anyway, number one, here's a good time to disobey. When you're commanded to do something that God forbids, you should disobey. You know, we read in the Bible, children obey your parents. If your parents tell you to murder somebody, if Simon says murder somebody in the game, you should not do it. You should have seen the agony on their faces trying to figure out, how do I get a Walmart gift card and commit a murder in public? (laughs) It was a fake gift card. Isn't that, by the way, the way the enemy always works too? Like, oh, you really want this? I'm sure you, you need it. Nothing there. Whenever you're commanded to do something God forbids, you should disobey. And the other time that I find pretty clear in scripture that you ought to disobey is if you're forbidden to do something God commands. Then you should disobey that command. Other than that, most of our lives fall in a realm of preference and convenience. Let me give you an example. If you are going on a flight somewhere, vacation, business, travel, whatever, and TSA security agent tells you to take off your shoes. You are not being persecuted for the cause of Christ. You may be like, but 9-11 wasn't real, or this is an overreach of my rights as an American. Take your stinking shoes off. That's not what we're talking about here, friends. (laughs) This is not obedient disobedience. If you want to get on the plane, take them off. (laughs) That's it. It's not religious persecution. We ought to save those moments of this is not right for when it's actually not right, not waste it when it's just not convenient. Peter and John, 
along with the believers, did what they needed to do. And they said, you can do what you got to do. You could judge for yourself, but we're not going to stop telling others about Jesus. The truth is, I believe it's ever increasingly becoming more important for each of us to determine in advance, what is it that God has commanded us to do and what is it that he has forbidden us to do? We live in a time where there's shifting opinions on what is right and what is wrong, what is moral and what is mean. There are nations around the world where a number of messages that I've preached directly from the word of God would now be categorized as hate speech and, and, and jail time would be on the line. It's not just the pastor that needs to think about this in advance, friends. You need to know, but let's, let's be certain that it's clear in God's word that it is that he's forbidden it or he's commanded it and not just that we wanted it. Because when we waste a God said or did not say on I prefer it to be, we lose our credibility for the moments that really matter. But make no mistake about it, friends. In these last days, there are and will be moments that will matter. So it's important that we know what the word of God says and we hold fast to the convictions with the help of the Holy Spirit that he has set out for us. Can I get a good amen? amen. Number four, and finally, Continual filling produces boldness. If we're gonna be successful at this obedient disobedience, we need to understand that continual filling produces boldness. Verse 31, it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I think it sounds a lot like those prayer meetings that we've read about from Azusa Street. It sounds like prayer meetings that, that have happened. I wanna be part of prayer meetings like that where the place is shaken by the power of God. Where we're praying prayers that are mattering for the sake of Jesus Christ, where we see heaven here on earth. It says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. You know, I don't know which prayer meeting that you go to that the place will be shaken. But I know the one you don't go to will never be shaken. So I'm gonna keep showing up. I'm gonna keep praying. I'm gonna keep believing. Keep declaring in faith that today's the day of salvation. That this is the day that the Lord has made. That we're gonna pray faith-filled prayers and believe that God will do what only he can do. Bible goes on to say that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's a curious phrase if you think about it because obviously Peter and John were already filled with the Holy Spirit. And here I believe they're referring to a filling or a releasing of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. We also uh, know earlier, you know, we read that, that the number of those who've been saved grew to 5,000 just in the men. So we know if we receive the Holy Spirit when we're saved, that had already happened. But this idea, when they say filled or baptized or released, Peter and John were among those 120 that received on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. I would guess that since then, more than just that 120 had received that gift, but they were all filled. I would believe that we could read this to say, and some of them were filled again. 
they were filled more. Now some of you think, well, how can I be filled more if I was filled? Was I not filled? No, it's just things happen. We need to be filled again. We, Paul said it this way. He wrote to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't always, you know, try to break down Greek, the language that this was written in that Paul wrote to that church in his letter. But really, um, it's a present indicative tense, which simply really means the verse would be better translated, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Paul was saying, what you got on day one is not enough for day 100. And what you got on day one is not limited to that day alone. What you got yesterday, you should get again today. (laughs) And what you're getting today, you should get tomorrow. You should be continually or continuously filled. I thought of it this way. we have a, a pond in our backyard, but it's just a hole that the builder dug. <laughs> it's not like a Minnesota pond or one of our 10,000 lakes. It's just a hole that he dug. And the, 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 the farm field next to us, when, when winter ends, I'm already looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> when winter ends, March, April, May, whenever that ends, <laughs> The snow and the ice, it melts and it filled the pond. Actually, it filled the pond to overflowing. So it went up above the hole where he dug and went the grass like this and it was flooding up and around. My pond was filled completely full. Now, because we're on a, a well water system and there's a lot of rust in the water, uh, he set the irrigation system to pull water from the pond to go to the sprinklers. So I don't spray rust around my whole house. I appreciate him doing that. I didn't know about that till I moved here, but anyway. Um, and the problem is we didn't get a lot of rain through the summer. And so my pond started overflowing. And over time through the summer, the water level goes down. For the pond to do what it was created to do. He dug the hole to let well water fill up, you know, or, or rainwater fill up, let any rust fall down, pull the water out, send it to the sprinklers. For the pond to do to fulfill its purpose, it needed water in the pond. And what happened, because we didn't get much rain, the sprinklers were going, the pond level went down. And I had to run a hose from the back spigot of my house to the pond to fill up the pond. But apparently it was not like a one and done situation. I had to, because we didn't get any rain in the summer, much rain for the summer till this last month. I had to leave the hose continuously on. Now, thankfully, I got a well. If I was on city water, well, grass would have died. That's how much I feel about that. You know, <laughs> you know, see you next year. That's how, okay. So, but I had a well, so, but I had to leave the hose on to continuously fill the pond because the pond was continuously giving out. If you and I are gonna do what we were created to do, to bring help and hope, to bring life to those around us, if we're gonna do what we were created to do, fulfill the mission to go into all the world, to tell everybody, if we're going to be people who are continually giving out, I submit to you from scripture, we need to be continually filled. That this is not something we do on Pentecost Sunday and then forget about it the rest of the year. 
the prayer and fasting is not something we do to begin the year and we never do it again. No, this is something that needs to be continuously done. We need to be continuously filled because the people around us in the circumstances of this life need what we've been given. So we need to wake up each and every day and say, God, would you continuously fill me today? When we're stuck in traffic, we need to pray, God, would you continuously fill me in this moment? When we're helping our kids, when we're assisting our neighbor, when we're helping the hurting, we need to be continuously filled so that we don't run out and be unable to give to those around us. It's an ongoing state of being continuously filled. So that's my prayer today. Yes, that everyone would be filled completely full. I pray you have that Acts 2 Pentecost experience. But I'm praying that you'd have the rest of the book of Acts lifestyle. Not just a a one and done, got the t-shirt, I'm good. No, let's be continuously filled so that we can continuously be on the mission that he has for us. I close and we, we, we need to end. They'll lead us in this song, but... I think this is so important for us on a day we're talking about obedient disobedience that that I remind you that love is the root and obedience is the fruit. We obey God or, or it's an expression of our love for him. I think one of the things that some in the church have missed is if we only focus on the rules and regulations and we detach it from our love for him, Right? It, it becomes religious in that sense. It, it just becomes routine. It just be, becomes a spiritual checklist if we detach it from love. But maybe you're here and you recognize, Pastor, I'm kind of struggling with my obedience to God. Then I would ask you, how's your love for him? Because I just believe if you love him, you'll obey him. Jesus said it, actually, if you love me, then keep my commandments. If you love me, then obey me. And maybe though you're here and you're like, man, not only am I struggling to obey him, if you're struggling to love him, then why don't you focus on his love for you? Because the same way that our obedience is an expression of our love for him, our love for him is only possible because of his love for us. We we read it this way, one one more verse, but 1 John 4, 10, this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love, not that we've loved him. So if you're struggling to obey, check your love. If you're struggling to love, I let you know of the greatest love of all. (laughs) The Bible says that, that he loved us so much that he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's how much he loves us today. If you're able, would you stand to your feet? this morning, even close your eyes. In the first service, Carol Schultz had received a word from the Lord, and I want to I read it to you, and then we're going to pray before we respond in song. You know, in 1 Corinthians, we read about different gifts of the Spirit to edify and encourage, and here we receive a word from the Lord. It was so encouraging to us in the first service, and I share it with you as well. That the Lord would say to us, my people, I call you my people because you are mine. 
I identify with you and I'm happy to have my name among you. The question is, are you happy to identify with me? Some of you are sitting on the fence with one foot in the world and the other foot is toying with me. I tell you this, get off the fence. Jump with both feet into my goodness, purity, strength, and authority. You will not be sorry. Come to me and let me be your God. Surrender all to me, including your fears. Let me bless you. So this morning, Father, I pray for each and every person. I pray for those even now who find themselves, according to this word, sitting on the fence. I pray for those, whether they're in this room or watching online, who will join with about six or seven in the first service and say, you know, I'm sitting on the fence. I've tried to have one foot in what I want and one foot in what God wants. But today I wanna jump all in on the things of God. If you're here, you've not been living how you should. You've been choosing sin, selfishness, choosing your own way. The Bible says that way will lead to death. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And today, you'll choose that life. The Bible says that the old will be gone and the new will come. Jesus will set you free. That he'll forgive your sin. He will make you new. Before I move from this moment, if you're here in the room, in a moment, I'm asking you to lift a hand. Online, there's a prayer partner. You can click a link and we're going to pray with you. But if that's you, you hear that word and you recognize you've been sitting on the fence. Today's the day and this is the time for you to choose whom you will serve. If you're here, you've been going the wrong way. You've been headed down the wrong direction. You've been listening to ungodly commands, but today you wanna to choose life. You wanna choose the way of Jesus Christ. You wanna be forgiven. You wanna be set free. You wanna live forever with him. You wanna be made right with God. You can lift your hand right now. Come on, all across this room. Come on, lift it high, lift it boldly. Thank you, sir. Yes, 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 yes. So Father, I'm praying right now for my brother and sister, Sisters, anybody else, you see their heart, you recognize their need. God, I'm praying that you'd set them free. As they repent of their sin, as they turn from their wicked ways, as they leave their selfish and sinful ways behind, God, I'm praying right now that you would do what only you could do, that you would save, that you would set free, that you would deliver them by your power in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray for each and every one of us who are right with you and are following you to the best of our ability, that we would be continually filled in Jesus' name today. Let's sing this one time as we respond together. Allow the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do today. Come on, open your heart to him this morning.
Do it again, oh God, we pray. So, Lord, it's our prayer that you would continually fill each of us for the task at hand. As we go out into the world this week to our place of employment, in our homes, our neighborhoods, our schools, wherever we encounter people that you love, that you created in your image, I pray that you'd help us give out of what we've received to share your love, to share your spirit with those in need. Help us to be so filled completely full, continuously filled, that we can't help but share with those that we come in contact with. And we prayed in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Pastor David, if you'd come and give us our instructions as we go. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.